Hello, I'm Max Tumpkin. And I'm told I'm Patrick Klepik. And this is episode 7 of Rewatch Podcast. This week we are watching episode 7 of Lost, Confidence Man. Our guest this week is Brian Brushwood. He's a professional magician, and he's the host of Scam School, and he's going to talk to us about scams and con artists. This episode of Lost is brought to you by our friends at Igloo. Igloo is an internet you will actually like. Are you feeling deserted in your job? Is collaboration with the others failing? Igloo's cloud intranet platform makes it easy to stay connected at work. It's built using easy-to-use apps like file sharing, blogs, shared calendars, and task management to unite your office. You can start using Igloo today for free at igloosoftware.com slash lost. That's igloosoftware.com slash lost. Okay, I got there weird, is, I've got a weird box in front of yeah, me. Yeah, there is a... Let me describe this box uh, sitting on the table. So there's like a white, shiny, lucite mm-hmm. box. It looks to be about 8.5 by 11, maybe a little bigger. It's chipped in the corner, so I'm already a little disappointed. But. Something There's something engraved on the top, and then I went to I went to like fiddle with it, and Patrick was like, no, no, we're going to open this on the show. So, yeah. so uh, rewind. Uh, a couple of days ago, let's, let's say earlier, let's say Monday, something like that. I was contacted by uh, the official HBO account for The Leftovers, which is Damon Lindelof's new show on, on HBO. It's very good. Uh, I do recommend watching it. And uh, they were like, hey, we're watching you. We're going to send you an email. <laughs> I was like, how would you have gotten my they, email? They specifically tweeted you? Yes. Well, or, Did they been, tweet other people? Yes. And then I did my research, and it seems like they've been tweeting folks on Twitter that have a like at least a reasonable following. Like, it's part of some viral campaign. And... Uh, like, so they then sent me an email and then I filled out this survey that uh, gave them my address. Uh, cause I just, I'll just give out private information willy nilly at this point. Sure. This, uh, there's too much out there. Sure. Have my address. <laughs> so they sent this box and it showed up today. I've not looked in it, but I'm opening it now. Uh, it, it seemed related enough given the, uh, it's a nice box. Is there it's some sort of plastic? It's nice engraving on the, is this some sort of puzzle? Well, what does it, what does it say? It just says the leftovers on the front. Oh no, that's just the show. It's um, the leftovers. I like how this is uh, addressed to my Twitter handle at Patrick Klepik, which is just my goddamn name. So I could have just written at anyway. In the survey, I had to write my name. Okay, all right. Uh huh. It's been three years since two percent of the world's population vanished without explanation, but not you. And as a keen observer, we'd like to enlist you as one of the watchers. I think by keen observer, they mean. You have a lot of followers on Twitter. <laughs> We'd like you to participate in our viral campaign. But okay, since it happened, everything's changed. We've had to adapt, forget, or move on. And we need each other. We need you to help us understand how to navigate this new world. HBO, oh, invites you to explore this package and share photos with the hashtag, The Leftovers. I might not do that. Note, HBO, like you had me until that line. Like, this come is on, just, taking a precipitous If you're going to commit to the weirdness, like... Come the hashtag? Come on. Yeah. Note, HBO and Holy Wayne have decided to loan you the individual burner phone, included burner phone, so we can send you messages throughout the upcoming season. If you don't fulfill your duties as a watcher, reserve the right to take it back at any time. So keep it charged, keep it close, and await further instructions. What? And continue your search for meaning on HBO every Sunday at 10 p.m. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! Oh, that's I'm like, I'm, I'm is, so excited, but also half so of this annoyed. Is so great, and then half of it is like you monsters. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, it's like a really cool idea, and then like 
You plug the shows. There. I'm watching the show. Are you? I don't. Wa- are you watching it? Yeah, it's great. Okay, I should, so I, I should catch up on this. It's really good. Like, but you don't okay. need to remind me when your show's on. All right, listen. Let me describe what you've got. You've got. Oh, okay. Wow, look at this. You've got like a like a old timey file folder. It's a profile of me. Oh my god, that's kind of creepy. Okay, it's, it's got a, your we'll, photo we'll in it. We'll take photos of this and we'll put it up. Uh, on, on the blog. Using hashtag... Uh, hashtag uh, the, le- the leftovers. Not the leftovers. You know, hashtag leftovers is going to be a lot of, like, meatloaf and Tupperware and stuff. So they clearly printed... That was funny. They've printed a photo of me that was from my wedding. It's one I've used in many places. Uh, it's, like, the best photo I have of myself. But it's got my name. Let me see it, that photo. I'll, I'll be the judge of this. It's a good photo. Oh, you, look, uh, you look handsome. Uh, file number K8... 65-PK096, gender male, date of birth, not available. Well, that's good. Hometown. Oh, they just... Oh, okay, they just scrawled this stuff from my Facebook. Okay. My Facebook profile is private, but certain parts of it are public. So they, they got my hometown, where I went is to school. Is this your Facebook profile picture? Uh, it what, it might have been at the time, okay. or has been one of them. I think my left, I allowed my profile photos to be public. Uh, profession? Senior news editor at Giant Bomb runs Rewatch Podcast. Okay, they just took that from my Twitter profile. That's just okay. I get it. You got to do these a bunch of them. Demonstrated interest: the silent cult on the leftovers is wonderful. They just quoted one of my tweets and just put it in. All right. Okay. All right. So that's how I got on this list. I wrote the silent cult on the leftovers is wonderfully infuriating. That was a tweet. So that's what got me on this list. Twitter handle. Patrick what is that? Kovic. Is that a thing in the leftovers? In yeah, the, the guilty okay. remnant are like this. Uh, cult in the leftovers that their sort of thing is they don't speak out loud. Okay. Like they, they've taken a vow of silence and they smoke a lot. Twitter handle Patrick Klubick, Twitter followers, blah, blah, blah. First tweet, I'm not sure I really get Twitter. 7.44 p.m. February 9th, 2008. That's okay. I didn't even know that was my first tweet. Uh, that's a pretty good first tweet, though. Uh, and then from there, there's a list of Social networks I may or may not participate in. Facebook, check. Twitter, check. Instagram, check. Vine, check. Tumblr, check. Recent sighting. Hawksview Golf Club, which I guess I, I, I must have mentioned that I played golf there in Wisconsin. Did you, like, check in there or something? I must have. Notes. Got married to lost music. Sometimes has facial hair. <laughs> and then they print it out. My tweet about the leftovers. All right, let's see what's in here. Okay, it's got a little thing. We are living reminders. Guilty remnant. All right, we'll go through this a little bit faster. There is a burner phone in here. So I. This is. Um, this is pretty well done. This for is like a viral uh, this is hand, thing. This is handwritten. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a typeface or anything. This is someone like hand wrote this dossier. Wow. There's an old Samsung phone in here. My brother actually needs a phone. His iPhone broke, and he has to wait till the six comes out. So I don't know. Maybe I'll kill my brother this burner phone. But he's gonna get random like viral yeah. texts and calls. That sounds fantastic. I'm plugging this in. I'm hoping it's gonna go off at some point. Is it? Um, is it? It has no power. I don't know. Okay. How you turn this is so phones? brilliant. Sending people phones. I, I would love to steal this idea. This is uh, there's a Zippo lighter. Wait, something's happening. Oh, it's turning on. Uh, there's a lip, Zippo lighter. Uh, Don't forget me, which is a reference to a line. Oh, fuck, I'm gonna get so on hooked show. on the leftovers now. There's not fuel in there. I don't know. I thought I'd 
Good no shot. No way. It's a cool. I, I, yeah, that's neat. Yeah. Uh, and let's, there's one last thing in a box. There's nothing in it. I assume this is what I'm supposed to use to send it back. I don't know. So an empty mailing box? Well, empty ma empty box. There must be clues in here. Let's see. I don't think so. Maybe, I, um, I bet the burner, they're going to give you instructions. Or Maybe they something. want the phone back at some point. I'm not going to send you the phone back. Anyway. What, what, so what is this big sticker? What is this? Oh, We Are Living Reminders is like their like catchphrase. Yeah, but it's a, uh, this is... Weird. I guess I can put it on a car or like yeah, a, yeah, laptop, yeah, yeah. a laptop is, or something. This is a decal. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Anyway, hey, that is uh, in terms of viral campaigns, that's pretty. That's pretty nifty. Is there anything on there right now? Uh, it's a so it's a charging icon. What there's if you? A, what if a you? Smiley face sticker on the front of the. What phone. if you hit a button? Like, is that just a static screen? No. No. Okay. Maybe it's that's dead. to charge. The dead. Okay. So we'll just we'll investigate this phone, and possibly. Get I'll report back. Hey, hats off to HBO. That is actually a pretty decent uh, viral thing. Also, it seems like if you want to get on board with this, is considering they picked it out, they must have been searching for like tweets related to the leftovers. So, uh, if you want to get involved, I don't know, tweet hashtag the leftovers. I guess. I guess. So that's our loss related. That's what I've got going on. What are you up to? Man, we're we're getting ready for convention season for for cards and um. What do you on. have other than packs? We do Gen Con packs, right. XOXO Fest. Um, yeah, just a good amount. Like like August, September, October is kind of like the crazy time of the year for us. We've got a lot of crazy stuff going on for packs too. That's always a big a whole big commitment for us. When is Gen Con? Gen Con is in like two weeks. Mm. Have you ever been? You should go. No, I feel you like you should go cover. What weekend Gen Con. is it? Um, the sixteenth. Mm, hang on. Oh, wait, this is good radio. Let's see. Open up yeah, the let's old, look uh, something up on the internet. Google uh, Google Calendar here. So it's the weekend of the, the 16th and 17th. I think um, I'm around. You should go. I, I, I'll, uh, I have a I, wedding the previous weekend, I think. I can get you a badge. It's, uh, Gen Con's like crazy fun. It's kind, of a, um, it's kind of an amazing convention that it works just because of um, the way that they schedule stuff and the amount of people there. Like It's, a, it's like staggering. It's like way... Way, way more going on at Gen Con than at PAX. Um, it's the biggest um, like board game convention, right? I think it's the biggest gaming convention in the United States. Wait, really? I believe so. Huh. Gamescom is like the biggest in the world, I think. Is that accurate? Sure. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. But I think um, Gen Con is the biggest in the U.S. Um, should we do some follow-up? Yeah, let's do some follow-up. All right, so... Um, let's see. Why don't you take the, this first one from uh, Robert... Uh, okay, so Robert writes, regarding the triangulation bit, which I agree, using the wrong term was silly and it bothered me too. I think the Sawyer moment was important. Uh, he's referring to uh, the moment where uh, Sawyer chooses to light off the uh, firework uh, when they're trying to triangulate the three different, well, you know, the actual term, but when they're in the, the show triangulating and he, uh, he actually participates. Uh, so Robert goes on to say, uh, helps establish his rogue with the heart of gold persona. He's not all scummy. But he does hold off on telling Kate about Jack for some time, so he's certainly not above being petty. It's actually a surprisingly complex scene. One character moment I think you guys missed is Michael's involvement. Until now, Michael hasn't really done much and is defined almost entirely by his new role as Walt's caretaker with a side of gin animosity. Uh, this is the first time Michael really stepped up in a positive where other survivors couldn't, 
finding the best place for them to dig in, and then checking the other caves for stability at the end of the episode. This is a single line. We don't actually see him do this. I really enjoyed seeing Michael step up. Yeah, it was like an application of Michael's professional career, which is as, uh, I think, an architect. Yeah, I construction, construction, something like that. Uh, uh, do we, I can't remember now, do, you, do we actually see Sawyer shoot the firework off, or is it just we know the firework goes off? Or do you uh, it's see impl- him light it? No, it's impl- Because yeah, that's it's important implied. to this week's episode. Yeah. Like, are you, you're supposed to kind of not know this week if he set it off or not. When Maybe. the whole cigarette slow fuse thing comes up. Right. Right. Yeah, not, well, yeah, as the like, audience, you're not supposed to know, like, oh, no, he really did set it Yeah, off. Locke introduces the, you know, like, not to get dip far, too far into this episode, but, yeah, this is, this episode starts to unpack and starts with the idea that was Sawyer simultaneously the person who set off the firework and then also the person that knocked Saeed out. Like, yeah. Because Sawyer has, he's benefiting a lot from being on this island. He's clearly having a good time. It would make sense that he would want to play along, but also whatever reason to uh, want to stick around. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's. I think Robert's totally right. I, I think that that you know that's honestly when when Lost is setting up moments like that, it's the most enjoyable because there is a lot to unpack in the subtlety, as opposed to uh, when the show is a little more on the nose about character moments, which was kind of what was happening with Charlie. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is something I want to come back to, I think, when we're talking about the episode, but this is making me think about um, the episode in terms of, does Sawyer want to get off the island? Um, Which is a question for a lot of the characters, I think, is... is yeah, is, and, is, you know, it's interesting. What are their motivations on the island, and then do they have a reason to want to leave that life behind? It, it's, it's so interesting, because for most of the characters up until this point, it's been very clear. Um, you know, Locke wants to stay on the island. This is the greatest thing that could have happened to him, yep. based on the, the not being able to go on the walkabout. Uh, the whole walking thing, pretty, pretty cool, turns out. Yeah, Kate wants to stay on the island. Um, you know, obviously, Claire, I think this week, is established as like pretty clearly wanting to get off the island. Um, Michael, Jin, and Son want to get off the island but it's interesting this episode i think um you know if i'm thinking about this like i think a lot of the the tension and the drama of this hour of lost comes from that question of like does sawyer want to get off the island we should we should come back and talk about that because i think there's you could kind of make the case both ways yeah probably um okay next piece of follow-up is from Corey. Corey says uh, I think that you do Charlie's character development a bit of disservice. Something that will become clear later in the season is that Charlie lives to please others and doesn't put himself first. He's constantly tried to be helpful since landing on the island, but he's been sidelined a lot. Later on, he serves and helps Claire. She deals with her pregnancy and the baby. And in the flashback in The Moth, he eventually caves into Liam's pressures to keep going with the band, even though he's come to this realization that it's corrupting his moral compass. Charlie's seeking out confession very frequently, and he's trying to find balance in his life, but he eventually caves to his brother's pressure. Later, he uh, takes the heroin—he heroin, wrote heroin, but I think he means heroin. Later, he <laughs> takes the heroin not only for escapism, because, but because it's what his brother wants him to do, to stick with the band. Uh, Charlie fails again to place his own needs first, quitting the band, and instead compromises his morals to please others. Um, of course, I may be biased because Charlie is one of my favorite characters from the series, and I identified him with a lot, uh, especially when the show was first airing. I think that's a fair. I think uh, I know. I know that I'm bringing some of my prejudices here. Of like, I think some of the, the the Charlie episodes are really boring, and his flashbacks are boring, even my judgment of his character. And I think uh, I think that's something that we didn't um, 
talk about that? I mean, that that was a, an angle. I, I really like his reading of the heroine, like as it, it's really Charlie committing to the band in a way that he doesn't want, but he's saying it's almost like a, I'm going to take one for the team. Yeah. Um, even though it winds up t- turning him into this like pretty bad person in the first few episodes of Lost. Right, and he and, and he's a, he seems to recognize the contradiction, right? Whereas, uh, you know, his brother at the time that you know doesn't care about the consequences. You know, he. To Charlie, he thinks he's performing some sort of altruistic act in some way by starting to take heroin uh, because, like, well, he wants to be with his brother. So, like, he's, he's doing a good thing for, like, both himself and his brother by engaging with that when obviously, you know, that's, that's clearly not what he actually wants as a, as a person. But, yeah, yeah, I think, I think Corey makes some good points about Charlie as a character. And he is, like, I think probably, you know, alongside Hurley, the most endearing character in in the series. I think o- often the I like the way the story bits about Charlie and his character development are less endearing than like how he is played by the actor. Like I think I think that goes a long way to to making Charlie such an enjoyable character. It's like he is so well played and that sometimes when some of the weird character stuff up comes up with him, that can be bothersome, but you know, I think you know, Dominic plays him really, really well and makes him just a really fun character to have on the island that that obviously, yeah, like has has a lot of complexity as as Corey points out. I, I totally agree and I love that this episode that that coming off of that um that that test of the island episode last uh in the moth, like in this episode I mean, he has, he's such a good guy in this episode. Like, I just really forgot how much I love the peanut butter plot and the way that he gets yes. Claire. He's showing so much care for Claire and gets her to move to the caves. Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought this was a great... They, he didn't have, like, a ton of screen time in this episode, but it was such... Those little scenes were such a redemption for him and such a clear character change between pre the moth and after. Yeah, and, and that's I think that's something that Lost as a show struggles with is that it's it's unique in its design at the time and I think still like, to this day in, in which the, it concentrates whole episodes on single characters right like it chooses to to, to put the lens uh, the magnifying glass on one character and, and see how that plays out with everyone else um, but I think that also comes with its own issues which is that you have to stretch sometimes so you like these little co- tiny character moments with uh, with Claire and you keep looking at that phone. <laughs> I want that phone to turn on so bad. With with Claire and Charlie are really great because they're they're simple vignettes yep. that tell a lot about the characters, and then they don't know to overstay their welcome. But if it was like Claire and Charlie like getting along for forty minutes, like that would probably overstay its welcome in in the way that a, a lot of the plots in, in Lost sometimes. Well, can. it's just it just it almost reminds me of like in the first season Lost it has just these little storytelling devices that are so smart. So like the dog like like uh, son's dog getting older, like the way that it revisits Charlie the week after his episode to show how he's slowly changing, like you really get that feeling of like these characters all exist in the same place at the same time and that they're changing over the course of this season and um uh, how do I how do I rem- uh, say this without giving any spoilers? In the in the season finale, there's a scene with some some very memorable music, right? And it's sort of a moment in that in that finale episode where you reflect on all of the characters and where they've been and where they've come from. And 
you just like what, the reason that scene is so affecting for me, other than just like the great production, the great music is. Um, do you know the one? You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. Like the reason that's so affecting is like you really do have that moment of like, man, I have seen these people come a long way. Like these are different people than yeah, Kennedy they have gone through some shit. Yeah, and and in a way that's like you feel like they earned the changes in those people's characters. And what's cool about that whole scene too, is like, there's no dialogue. It's just purely like you, you get that moment as a viewer to reflect on how far you've seen these characters come and, and how you've seen them change. Um, all right, well let, uh, let's, um, go to our interview with Brian, uh, Brushwood. So uh, I am uh, joined by Brian uh, Brushwood, the host of Scam School and Hacking the System. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for uh, doing the podcast. This is uh, extremely cool of you. I I am so extremely flattered and thrilled to be invited. So we uh, we asked you to come on this week because uh, we're watching an episode of Lost um, about one of uh, our favorite characters, Sawyer, who you find out in this episode, he's a con man uh, before he gets stranded on the island uh, on Lost. Um, have you seen Lost? Are you, are, were you a Lost fan back in the day? I have. I'm uh, not only a Lost fan, I am a complete Lost ending apologist. I get in fights. I'm just like, hey, man, I, I was okay with the ending of Lost. You know, I th- it's an interesting so, – so Patrick, my co-host, and I had, had very different reactions. Patrick loved the ending, and I, I was one of the people who felt like I, it, it, it didn't give me everything I wanted. But it's like the, the fun of the project of like we're just starting from the beginning and rewatching every episode. And I, I'm really finding that I appreciate all of that. There was so much stuff that I took for granted the first time I lost the sh- uh, watched the show. But there's all these great character moments and there's all of this great groundwork that's, that's set up right from the beginning that's making me appreciate the, the whole arc of it a lot more. We, you, you know what's funny is I actually gave up on Lost two times during its run. Uh, the first because I first discovered it, and this is you know pre Hulu days uh, by by torrenting it or or getting it all online, and I would burn through a, a whole season. I'm like, this show's amazing, it's great. And then season two, I switched to week to week, and I couldn't handle it. And I'm like, I'm like, ah, it's too slow. It's not progressing enough. Screw this show. I'm out. And then uh, and then I think the second time was like during the writer strike or something. <laughs> uh, but but like it. It was amazing to me how much stronger the show was when you were able to dive in unrestricted and just go plowing forward episode after episode. Can you t- tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I, I have toured as a professional magician since 1999, and around 2003, I started uh, touring colleges with a stage lecture called Scam Sasquatch and the Supernatural, where we would talk about scams and cons and about uh, 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 pseudoscience and the paranormal, talk about uh, standards of evidence. I mean, it's it's uh, in many ways I'm trying very hard to follow in the footsteps of, of Penn and Teller where they bring not only – I mean obviously as a magician, I have no credentials. I'm an idiot who sticks nails in his eyes and eats fire. However, I do know a thing or two about tricking people and fooling them, and it was really neat to, to dive into that whole world of scams and cons and pseudoscience uh, for this lecture. And then from that grew Scam School, which is now run for seven years on Discovery Digital Networks. We're over 300 episodes, and each episode teaches you how to uh, score a free drink off your friend using a harmless scam or con. You know, we call it the show about social engineering at the bar and on the streets, basically getting what you want by, uh, by manipulating someone else. And then most recently, we did uh, Hacking the System as a couple of specials on uh, National Geographic. Are you a uh, James Randi fan as well? Oh, my gosh. Uh, one of the most amazing moments of my life was there was uh, – uh, I, I, I had decided when I was writing the Scam Sasquatch and the Supernatural lecture that I wanted to do a little segment on 
psychic surgery, but I had never done it. Uh, I, I didn't know the mechanics of sleight of hand or whatever. So I wanted to hopefully get a message to, to James Randi. So I picked up the phone and called the James Randi Educational Foundation, expecting to talk to a secretary, try to explain to her this this lecture that I'm doing and see if I could maybe get word to him. And instead, you know, just the phone answers and it's James Randi on the line. Wow. He's like, hello. And I was like, <laughs> Hi, what's going on? I'm Brian. I want to do psychic surgery. He's like, oh, well, make sure to do this. And I did it this way, but you could do it this other way. It was amazing to expect to go through like several mini bosses, but instead Donkey Kong answers the phone. You know, it was amazing. So I definitely want to kind of get into um, is Sawyer kind of like a believable character um, as a con man, but like. What, did you did you relate to his character? Like, did you find him to be like a, a realistic portrayal of a of a of a con, confidence man? Well, keep in mind that my understanding of of con tricks and con men and that whole confidence scam world is largely academic. I I am not in the business of actually <laughs> defrauding anyone. <laughs> so, but with that being the case, the thing that was curious about Sawyer was that his method to get inside was was so purely sexual essentially you know just by being handsome ass and making women fall in love and there are there are there's this whole field that that uh, of of confidence men who work that way however they uh you know they don't tend to to have a lot of uh, academic papers written about them because it's so it's for example you you know black and white when somebody's pulling the pigeon drop or the you know uh, or or the wire game or, or any of these classic intentional team based frauds like they're busted and the cops write up all the documents on it and those are the ones they get written about when when the method to get somebody to give money is affection there's all these mushier questions about like well is it a con like like or you know for example there's a whole class of people there's um uh female-based sexual tourism in parts of uh, south East Asia, where women in their late 50s or whatever will come over and they'll they'll know what they're up to, but they'll essentially, but all of a sudden, like all these 20 year old men are hitting on them and they'll have a delightful three weeks. And at the end of it, the, you know, the, uh, the young men will mention that, ah, well, my family's having some trouble or whatever, and there'll be an exchange of, of money. It's, it's essentially, wow. um, reverse prostitution as, as we in the West think of it. Uh, and in that case, you know, would you call it once once you mix up sexuality and money, it it gets more difficult for me to think of things in terms of cons or scams or straight up prostitution because there's so much emotion involved with it. And that's what struck me first about Sawyer's character is that it was a highly sexualized method to to get access to, uh, I don't know, just someone's heart. Do professional con men exist? Is that like a, a career that people have in, in the My sense guess of like, they... like Sawyer and Lost? Yeah. Oh, certainly. I mean, uh, don't think of it as career con man, because in that case, you start to think like, well, do they have do they have health insurance? Do they have a union? I mean, they don't. We're we're looking at a bunch of of disparate individuals. Uh, There certainly are serial con men. It it is often oftentimes, you know, you fall into this world uh, by accident or you have one score that pays off. And you think, you know, some of these people, they think, well, that's going to be it. I'm taking care of for a while, but then the money runs out. And it's like, well, I guess we got to start it all over again. And it is astonishing the variety that they that they could do. Um, Like, for example, somebody who might not think they're a con man, but they are, are somebody who 
who has uh, um, there's a uh, uh, an asphalt paving scam where what you do is uh, you you go up and you're dressed in workman's outfit. You you look uh, very professional. You got a truck behind you, and you say, "Hey, we've been repaving all of these other driveways up and down the street." Um, with this uh, fresh asphalt. Normally, it's $1,000. I've got 300 pounds of this stuff left over. Uh, normally, it's 1000 but I'll do it for 100 bucks for you if you want you know, fresh asphalt on your, on your driveway. And they're like, yeah, sure, great. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm getting a bargain. And then they go and they put it on there, uh, and they say, it's going to take a while to cure, but in the end, it turns out it's, it's not asphalt. It's nothing but gravel and used motor oil. They went and took uh, you know, junk from, from, uh, from an unscrupulous you – know, that's, not, that's not disposed of properly. So it never dries. It never cures, and it's never asphalt. So in that case, I mean is that a con man or is that somebody just selling a crappy product and lying about it? I mean yeah. I, guess, I guess it's a con man. <laughs> what, what are some of the like, real-life comms and, and scams that are pretty common or, or that, that are you know, maybe, maybe not as dramatic as you'd see on TV but like the asphalt thing that are more of like an everyday scam? Sure. Well, the, uh, keep in mind that the key and – and I guess the reason that the asphalt thing is a con is that it takes advantage of, uh, of someone else's greed or, or desire to get ahead. Uh, was it W.C. Fields who said you can't, you can't scam an honest man or you can't con an honest man? You know, whether it's an appeal to their vanity, whether it's a, uh, giving the impression that they're going to get ahead of, of the system or, or sneak something past someone, there's usually a moment where the mark will do something that in polite society they should feel guilty about. And that is what the comment takes advantage of is, is to let them feel like they're on top when they plan the whole thing. For example, uh, there's variations on this, whether it's the, the violin scam or the, uh, the, uh, oh, I'll tell you different. Uh, let, let me explain the scam and then I'll explain the different versions. Sure. Um, there, uh, let's say you work at a gas station and all of a sudden a very well-dressed woman comes in, uh, looking around, uh, stuffing her fingers in, you know, all of the foods and, and poking around. You're like, what's going on? We're like, well, I lost my engagement ring. It was from my fiance's grandmother. It has tremendous sentimental value. It's not, it's not very valuable. It's not a real diamond on there, but, uh, it me, you know, I, 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 it would devastate me if it was lost. I will give $500 as a reward to anybody who will find this ring. Uh, here's my phone number. Here's everything. Uh, then later on, some guy walking in just says, whoa, what's this? Or maybe he doesn't even say what's this. He, he sort of clearly picks something up and goes to leave. Gas station attendant is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody was looking for that. He's like, I don't know you from Adam, man. It's like, how, how do I know? It's like finders keepers, jerk. And then it's like, uh, you know, this guy, knowing there's a $500 reward, might offer, you know, he's like, well, what are you willing to give it? Give me for it. He thinks, you know, 50, 100, 200. $500 or whatever, uh, he buys the ring off of him intending to flip it for, for, the, for the more money. And of course, you know, it's junk jewelry and the entire thing was orchestrated. Another version might be that uh, uh, a, a down-on-his-luck musician comes in, you know, shabby, maybe <laughs> picture, picture a guy who looked like maybe he was once in the, the Philharmonic, but now he's, you know, in a shabby tuxedo. And he says, I'm down on my luck at the pawn shop and I need to pawn this, uh, this, you know, this old violin I have. And he's like, well, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. And he's like, fine. And he takes 50 bucks. He puts uh, the pawn shop, puts it on display. Shortly later, a very well-dressed individual comes in and explains, do you know what you have? This is an original Stradivarius. This is worth $20,000. I will pay you $20,000 right now for this. 
And the guy running the pawn shop says, well, this item's in Hawk. I can't technically sell it to you until we you know, get the money back. It's, it's not available. I'd lose my license. He's like, look, here's my number. Here's my name. You know, contact me the second this is available. Do whatever it takes. Uh, this is a, a, a true treasure that you have. Later on, the, uh, you know, the uh, same thing happens. The shabby guy who hawked it comes in and, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it, they negotiate a price and it's certainly, you know, not near $20,000, but it's a hell of a lot less than, uh, than, it's, actu- or than it's actually worth, basically. Right. Wow. Um, I can, and these are all real, everyday kind of scams that would happen? Oh, sure, sure. There's a, there's a number of books written by former uh, beat detectives and cops in the New York area. Uh, I believe I think Swindled is where I read a lot of these. It was like an extraordinary rogues gallery <laughs> of just uh, uh, the, the depravity of humanity. Uh, another one with the uh, same thing with show dogs. Uh, somebody would be walking a dog and uh, you know, ask someone to take care of it. Somebody, and this is, this is what's amazing about Condon is that they all tend – to tailor their story to their strengths, you know, because I wouldn't know the first thing how to convince someone that this is a genuine pedigreed show dog or whatever. Uh, but there's somebody who is of that world who knows that language, and for that's how they take the general themes of making people believe that something's worth much, much more than it actually is, and uh, and buying it off of them. Uh, and to be honest, my my, my whole fascination, fascination with this world happened when I was actually the victim of a scam in college. Wow. Uh, and in my case, they didn't appeal to they, – they, they appealed to my desire to uh, buy something valuable for cheap. And they intentionally tricked me into believing that it was likely stolen goods so that I thought I was – I had a reason for why I was able to get a hold of it. I was, uh, I don't know, at the uh, hardware store heading back, buying some stuff for the apartment that we're moving into. And some guys come out, come up with a van and they're like, Hey man, we, uh, uh, do you have a second? Look, here's the deal. We just, uh, bought six studio monitors that we just installed over at sugars, which, which was a, a, a stripper joint around the corner. So it started off with a CD joint, you know, and, and I guess I fit some kind of profile like this, this individual lone early 20 somethings guy walking around, they come up and they mention this particular strip joint. They're like, these are thousand dollar monitors. And he, and he holds up a catalog, a catalog with a photo of, of some monitors. Like these are the ones we installed. They're right there in the back. Uh, they ordered six, but we installed four of them and they said they were done. These things normally cost a, you know, a thousand dollars. We don't care. We'll give them to you at cost. For $300. And there was something just fishy enough about it that made me think, oh, man, these guys didn't install Kravit sugars. These are stolen ass speakers. And, uh, and, and, and so and weirdly, the first thing I thought was like, I'm going to get me some $1,000 stolen speakers for only $300. So <laughs> and so like, I bought these speakers for $300. So like no, even, oh, what's so ahead. brilliant about it is like even in the lie of the scam, like the, the, there's like a grain of truth. Like they're using the, the fact that it's a CD or, or like a shady deal like to, their, to their own strength. Like that's so devious. Yeah. Well, and it's two things. It does uh, number one. It in, it sweetens the deal because it gives you a psychological reason for why you're in this position and what the opportunity you you have. But more importantly, this is the insurance that keeps sure that that keeps them certain that you're not going to call the cops afterwards. Because once I figured out, and they were terrible speakers, but they were like you know, twenty dollars speakers, not. Mm-hmm. 
thousand dollar speakers. Yeah. Uh, they were they worked, but but let's say I figured out that that like wait these things cost thirty bucks. Uh, what am I gonna do? Call the cops and say, hey man, I thought I was buying stolen speakers, <laughs> and instead they're legit crappy speakers. So and I guess that's also uh, as far as the character of Sawyer. I, I don't I, I if I remember correctly, like you just got to this episode, you tell me, did did he have that kind of moment of of creating this feeling like there was something shady or illegal about the exchange? Uh, because usually that's to protect themselves. Yeah. So it was um, it was that he was like in this scam, he was like exploiting a government a loophole where they would they would match your investment in like an oil rig or something. Um, but I guess like the real manipulative part of this scam was that he, he lets the mark hold the money overnight, uh, and it's real money. It's money that he got from someone, but that's kind of speaks to what you were saying about he's giving this other guy the feeling of being in control of this really shady situation. Yeah, that is an important part of most scams and that there needs to be a payoff or a convincer. Uh, and in this case, it was letting them hold the money. If you're running a crooked gambling operation, you might let somebody win a few times. But the most fascinating version of this to me is in New York. Uh, you know, People think of the three-card Monty as they think of it as an unfair game, but they think of it as a game. They think of it as a skill-based demonstration of mixing cards in order to, you know, who can outwit each other and all that stuff. But it turns out that's not what they're doing at all. Uh, three card Monty is always a team based operation. You usually have two people standing, at, standing as lookouts at the end of the block. You have uh, the, the tosser, basically, which is a hilarious term, uh, <laughs> uh, tossing the cards. Every, everybody else gathered around that, um, you know, that, that, that cardboard box is working for them. So when you see somebody win, that is, not, uh, that is only there as window dressing to make you believe that you're witnessing a real game. Uh, wow. But also those other players are there to interrupt you if you try to make a valid bet. For example, let's say you are watching. Let's say you do know the moves. Let's say it gets to the, the point where he asks, where's the queen? And, and you pull out $50 and, and set it on this one card. Then it's the job of one of the other shills to say, no, no, I'll bet you 100 it's this other one. And then, and then the dealer is able to say, sorry, bro, uh, it's the rules. I got to go with the higher bet. And he won't take your bet. And of course, at the end, the, the, the end solution is if, if you insist on it, then they just beat you up and rob you anyway. <laughs> like it's, it's amazing how orchestrated and how large scale. I, I think that's the greatest similarity between a con game and a magic trick is that the reason magic tricks work is because the last thing you would believe is that somebody would waste this much time and invest <laughs> this much resources just to fool you. Uh, and that is exactly what happens with a confidence game. Um, so my, my, my last question about, um, I guess about law specifically, but like TV shows in general, it, when, when a TV show shows a con or a scam, do they usually get it right? Or is it like wildly exaggerated for dramatic effect? Like how, how do you watch, you know, uh, like an episode of Lost that shows a con? Does it like drive you crazy or is there some truth to it? It's, it's tough for me now because I remember how I used to feel about this. Things where it's like I learned a little bit of magic and I learned a little bit of manipulation and I would see the way it would be represented on television and I, I would say that's not how you could do they left out this step and you need this kind of card and all this stuff but as I've learned you know the brevity of storytelling that is television and is you know internet television uh, I'm much more forgiving about all of that stuff um, and especially like if at the end of the day, your point is that you can hold up, um, 
you know, uh, hold up this card that has to, if the payoff is, is that it's a two sided ace or whatever, then that's really all that matters. Everything else just, you just need to get to the point where you can give that aha moment to the folks at home. So I, I don't bristle at it the way I used to, but I definitely used to go bug nutty over that stuff. That's <laughs> definitely no lie. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. This was really cool to get to talk to you. Um, and I know you've got um, some really cool stuff in the works. Where can people um, kind of keep up with, with what you're working on? And if they like what they heard, where, where's the best place to, to follow your new stuff? Well, yeah, if you want to dive in, just go to, to uh, Scam School on YouTube. Just type in Scam School and click on that Uploads button, and there's 317 episodes waiting for you. And they go from everything from street cons and scams. We teach how to do the classic short change hustle and a bunch of other stuff to pranks to pull on your friends to magic tricks to win free beers. And uh, if you want to hear about all my new stuff, I'm at Twitter.com slash Schwood. That's S-H-W-O-O-D. It's the, la- it's the last part of Rushwood, which I thought was clever at the time, like it's Brushwood. But then whenever I say Schwood, everyone tries to sneak a C in there and there's no C. And so it's like, <laughs> well, that was dumb. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for your time. This was uh, really cool uh, to have you join us. And, uh, of course, you're welcome back anytime. And I uh, can't wait to, uh, to keep following your stuff and uh, see what you've got coming up. Man, you just invited, invited a vampire into your home, man. All right, well, let's, uh, let's um, jump into this episode. Um, did you, I guess first, did you enjoy it? Do you think yes. it was like a good episode of Lost? Fan, absolutely. Like any Sawyer episode, I'm sure there are probably better Sawyer episodes than others, but I remember in the history of the show always being excited when I realized we're going to learn more about Sawyer. And especially the first couple are just so incredibly strong because I think up front he represents the most complex, interesting character that we, uh, <laughs> as Max destroys his microphone. I rolled my chair into my microphone. <laughs> uh, it's a common problem, common problem. But I think, I think he represents by far the most complex character we've been introduced to of the survivors of Oceanic Flight um, E-15. And the being able to learn more about how he became the person he became uh, is, is incredibly interesting. So, yeah, like... Other than this being uh, a very exciting episode for my wife, because you get to see Josh Holloway uh, a lot, and then also you wonder, what did this guy do after Lost? Like, nothing. Um, he's one of the few actors that really hasn't done a whole lot uh, in the post-Lost world. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, did, did you enjoy the episode as much as I did? Um, it was. I had an interesting, like, I guess, relationship with this episode, so I've rewatched Lost a couple times. Um, actually, not all the way through. I've watched, like, the first few seasons a lot. And that was mostly like while it was still on, like before a new season would come on. Yeah, I'd, yeah, wa- yeah. I'd sort of rewatch everything sure. to get primed for it. Um, and I almost always skip this episode because the torture scene of Sawyer getting tortured just—I don't know why—it just really upsets me. Okay. And it still upsets me to watch. It was not easy to watch. I don't know why that just pushes that my one buttons. in particular. Yeah. Um, and there's the Battlestar Galactic episode too, where where Bal- guys Baltar's on the Cylon base star and he gets tortured, mm-hmm. and that upsets me too. I don't know. It's like something about it is just just really pushes my. I'm not like usually like a squeamish TV watcher, but that just really pushes my. Buttons. Well, they don't show a whole lot, but the actual method that Saeed employs to try and get information out of him is like such an unnerving. Yeah, like the idea that you're taking these. What was it? it? Was bamboo that they had turned into reeds. like a reeds into like a pointed kind of knife uh, or like a pointed uh, spot, yeah. and then just putting it uh, underneath your nail? 
That sounds horrible. You know what? That's what's so upsetting about it, and that's what's so upsetting about the Battlestar Galactica torture too. Is in both cases they're not showing you the torture. You you can see hear the person screaming, and it's implied what's happening, and it's left up to the imagination. In a way, like if they showed it, it would be easier for me to. Yeah. confront because I'd be like, okay, this is a special effect. I've seen this in a million horror movies or whatever, but it just re- get, really gets me. So anyway, so I've skipped this episode and this is one of maybe the second or third time I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. It was really good. It was a yeah. fucking great episode and I really hated Sawyer and I also couldn't remember how the business with the inhaler worked out, so I couldn't. I honestly couldn't remember if he had the inhalers or not. Mm-hmm. It was a great episode. Like, I really... Just, I mean, I went through the whole range of emotions of like, I really hated Sawyer, and then I really came around to kind of pitying him or uh, um, to feeling some begrudging respect for his character at the end of the episode. There's a tonal whiplash all over the place in terms of the character of Sawyer, mm-hmm. and even the revelation that his name <laughs> is not Sawyer. It's an adopted name because of uh, a particularly tragic childhood incident, but... Like, all those layers of complexity to the character are... You already have a sense of a lot of those before the episode. And then when you come away from Confidence Man, like, it doesn't necessarily paint a clearer picture of Sawyer, but it paints this, like, really deep character profile that explains a lot of the contradictory nature of the character, even if it doesn't necessarily resolve where he's going to fall on that spectrum one way or the other. Yeah, and it's. I felt so. I think in the beginning of the episode, especially because I I was pretty convinced he stole the inhalers. Like they set that up pretty pretty convincingly. Yeah, they're like. I, I didn't know. Screw I mean, this I, guy, I I knew like... he. I mean, I knew he wasn't. Uh, 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 well, we think he's not the person who hit Saeed in the head at this point. Right. Right. Like, they kind the, of start out with that. You you know the episode uh, sort of opens with, you know the the central sort of island conflict is. Uh, you know, ostensibly about Shannon and the uh, inhaler that she needs in order to breathe, but really that, you know, the central conflict is about Sawyer and, right. like, where his allegiance lies and, you know, what his motivations are. And But we get an early moment where some resolution from the previous episode, or at least, you know, a continued uh, exploration of uh, a conversation between Saeed and Locke in which they discuss the uh, him getting hit in the head. And, yeah. And, 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 and Locke sort of plants this additional doubt of, who could it be? Why would it have happened? And, you know, you know, suggest that a cigarette could be used as a means of having a delayed, uh, ignition, which then, you know, this all is planting. Everyone hates Sawyer. Sawyer is a bad guy. Sawyer is a villain. Like that's all what the initial setup of this episode is, is just compounding the reasons why you should hate this guy. And then the backstory and then the things we learn throughout the episode on the Island, uh, begin to peel away at those expectations of like why would this guy act this way? And I think that's I think Locke asks the central question of the whole episode. Um, I, I think that's kind of the thing the whole episode hangs on when he asks Saeed. He's like, "Who would hit you in the head?" Well, just think, who doesn't want to get off this island? And I think that to me, that's sort of the central thematic like like pivot point of this whole episode. So that's in the first. The, the sort of B story of the week, which is Shannon not having her inhaler and her, her health issue, um, which, A, gives us one, I, one of the funniest lines of the whole season of Lost, which is when Boone goes, I guess breathing isn't cool. <laughs> I just, Boone's such a turd in this episode. And the, the, sheer, I'm so, the sheer amount of contempt he has for like, his sister at this uh, point, like everything, the way he says the line, like, you just... 
It, it is a it's a funny line, but I'm done. I'm so done with Boone. He's such a turd. It's 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 interesting because the way the character is played, the way that dynamic is set up is that you should really hate Shannon, right? Like she, there's nothing. She doesn't come across as very smart. She relies on other people. She clearly is pampered, has access to wealth, and 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 Boone just is, hates her so much. And you're given evidence as the audience why you should dislike her but the way Boone is played is you're kind of just like fuck both of them like, yeah they're both pieces of shit well I have some I mean I can't help but look at their characters on a rewatch too with like where I know they wind right. up um, so that's but where they coloring. start are just like throwing both yeah. to the savages Boone just what a turd in this episode um, but so but the the sort of central um, that 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 plot hinges on eventually Sun realizes that there's eucalyptus trees and tells Michael secretly in English to go find the eucalyptus plants, and then she makes like a, like a eucalyptus um, mush, and they uh, put it on Shannon's uh, uh, chest, and she can breathe. Well, there's, there's a moment before that uh, where we have uh, another sort of continuing plot thread of where Michael is now aware that Sun can speak English. And so right. when, when Sun asks Michael to go get uh, the, the like branches with the leaves that she needs... Uh, he comes back with that, and they're talking in English. Right. And then Jin comes up behind them, does not hear them talking in English, <clears throat> but it adds to this uh, ongoing conflict where Michael oh, told Michael that. told Jin, you know, stay the hell away from me. And Jin seems to have been kind of following, you know, that threat, even if he didn't hear it in English, he he got the message. But then at this moment, you have well, now Sun is going back to Michael, like reigniting a conflict that. Uh, you know, was not necessarily settled, but at least had been kind of like in maybe a smoldering state. You know, there is a little payoff of that moment, I think, in the episode where when, so when Sun is giving the eucalyptus treatment to Shannon, Sun is, there's like literally a circle of people around Shannon, right? Mm -hmm. And Sun is in the center of the circle. She's like an insider with the whole group. And then it sort of pans over to Jin and he's like an outsider, like standing in the back. Right, right. So I think you do get a real sense of like, since House of the Rising Sun, there really is a a shift in the power dynamic between Jin and Sun where she's sort of the one who's rising to the occasion and has something to contribute and she's an insider with the group of the big actors on the island and and um Jin is sort of this guy he's suspect he had this fight with Michael and he's got the the handcuff around his wrist when he um, can't explain himself and right. and and Sun's also not in a position to explain his motivations right if he was to not that maybe his actions would be excusable, but at least then there would be probably less resentment towards Jin or or you know a fearness uh, of him as sort of like an other um, uh, if he was able to actually kind of talk and explain himself. But he's just not in that position. Well, I think it's. I mean, I think that scene, that little, that whole little sub sub subplot of the Jin and Jin Sun um, story in this episode. It's just so, it's such a such great, it's just more of this great storytelling, like the peanut butter jar of like, they're not giving you a lot, but they're still great character And so much is implied. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's, and like you unpack that yourself. And that's the fun part as a viewer yeah. is, is realizing those implications without the show being like, huh? Like, yeah. Get, get it? So, and that was so, okay. So bring this back to the, to the eucalyptus thing that I was talking about. So I think that's the, the central theme I think is like this question of like, do do you is it better to you know who wants to stay on the island is that better who wants to get rescued is that preferable um, and that's sort of the whole turn of the plot of like 
the whole time in the episode, Jack is going to Jack and and Saeed are going to these extreme measures to find the uh, this inhaler, which is such a short sighted plan. If you're planning, you know, Jack's the one who wants to stay in the caves and live on the island. Even if they find these inhalers, how long will that last? Like, a, I don't know how long an inhaler lasts, but a couple Can't, of months. Yeah, like, I say like, yeah, like yeah. in in the broadest possible terms, like a couple of it, months. It, it's not a solution if you're planning to live on the island. Um, but it's just he doesn't even occur to him to like find to, to think in those terms. It's such, such a new way of thinking about their situation, um, and it's ultimately Sun who's the one who is is really clever and sort of sidesteps this whole conflict and just finds a solution to the problem. Um, and that's like obviously that's just a play off of broadly off of like the caves and beach split, which is still sort of the main plot device uh, of the on island um, tension. And then there's, of course, like the backstory, which I think um, it's sort of the, the combination of the backstory and the two scenes with um, Kate and Sawyer involving Sawyer's note, that kind of sets up this conflict of does Sawyer want to stay on the island or does he want to get off? Um, so maybe where do, we, where do we even want to start with that? Should we do Sawyer's, I think maybe his on-island story first and then his backstory? That sure, makes yeah. sense. Kind of yeah. a weird order, but... Um, so it starts off with, uh, yes, yeah, so you see uh, everyone sort of suspects that Sawyer has stolen um, Shannon's inhalers because he has Watership Down, which came from um, Boone's uh, 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 book bag. And for some reason, I, also, I, I just love that that was also really funny to me because it's like, it's super endearing to me that Sawyer reads Watership <laughs> Down. Like, I just... I can't, it just really gets me. But the fact that Boone was traveling with it, like that I find really upsetting because it's a book for middle schoolers. Like it makes so, sense to Sawyer, like it, not that Sawyer is childish, but that he also is s- such a lack of pretentiousness that he'd be okay with just sitting around reading this book about these mice. <laughs> yeah. It's about, have you read it? Yeah. Um, it's an interest. I mean, it's a ages great, and ages ago. Um, it's a great pick. I mean, it's a book about utopia and it's a book about how to live. Um, and isn't it like a really violent cartoon adaptation as well? God, I think that's true, isn't it? Um, wouldn't surprise me. Um, I don't, I mean, I read, I read the book in, in, you know, I want to say when I was like 11 or 12 for school. Um, but it's just such a great, it's a great little moment of like picking a book that sort of, uh, uh, points to the, the, one of the big themes of the episode and the, yeah, look obviously this, look the at this horrible, look at this horrible split. bunny. Look at this horrible, like that's like bloody foaming at the mouth rabbit. There's yeah. a look at it's all over this it's horrifying fucking cartoon. So it's bunnies, not mice. Yeah, rabbits. Huh. Rabbits. Um, Terrifying. So Sawyer. So basically, the main sort of meat of the episode is these scenes where people are mostly interacting with Sawyer and trying to get him to hand over these inhalers. So the the first one comes when Kate goes to visit him and he's uh, chopping wood. Uh, and she says, you know, just give the inhalers. What do you want? She sort of knows how to talk to Sawyer. She immediately goes into, what do you want? And he says, I want to kiss, which is like, just so, just want to punch him in the face. Like, so asshole. Yes. Such an asshole. Um, and, uh, it it also like him saying that he is implicating himself. He's basically saying he has the inhalers. If he says what he wants for the inhalers. Yes. Um, and, uh, 
uh, I can't remember now. Why does he to give Kate the note and he's like forces in her hand and he's like read this note? She I says, I think I think we might be mixing some some scenes. No, that's is, that's I'm almost certain it's that was there, but, scene but, because well, she says, I know there's some humanity in you because of some reason because oh, you're reading yeah, the book. Okay, I think so because okay, you're reading so, the book, right? But but before that, um, mm-hmm. that's when there's initially uh, uh, Jack goes over to Sawyer and like starts ruffling through his stuff. Yeah, there's a couple. I can't remember the exact order of this, but at some point, I mean, we'll, he beats up Boone for, for going through his stuff. Yep. He, uh, Jack goes through his stuff, doesn't find the inhalers, and then and later... They're, they're about to fight, and then that's when Kate comes over and says, like, what is this all about? And then Jack walks away because he, right. uh, you know, doesn't want to fight Sawyer in front yeah. of Kate, and then Kate and Jack walk away, and Kate says, let me... Oh, that's right. So there's that little... There's a great little character moment between... Even though the... Jack Sawyer, uh, Kate, uh, sort of, you know, will they or won't they stuff bothers me because they go back to that so often. There is sort of a great moment where Kate says uh, to Jack, uh, let me go talk to him. Um, He says we have a connection. And Jack goes, well, do you? And it's just, I, you know, like that's like those little moments. I like, I think are really funny ways of addressing the ro- potential romantic angles of the people on the island as opposed to some of the more like, really head on like hitting you over the head uh, with it ways that the, the, the show sometimes can uh, and then that's when Kate goes over and finds Sawyer chopping the wood and then she says I don't I think she says something along the lines of I don't buy it you know like she doesn't she thinks that he's acting a certain way to project a certain way but there's actually a human being under there which leads her to then remark that I've seen you Right, I've seen you read the note, and then he puts, he forces the note in her hand, and the note is the letter. He tells her to read it. Like it's a yeah. really powerful. Like you get these like great close up shots of of Sawyer and and Kate, and the music like drops uh, and gets like really serious. Like it does that very that's lost-y the, thing. That's like the dark, a, the dark. So, so um, I, I don't know if you've noticed this on Lostpedia. Um, yeah, the this is I just found this actually reading about this episode, but on Lostpedia. Some of the episodes are annotated where they tell you which musical theme plays in which scene, hmm. and that's actually called the Dark Sawyer theme. Really? Yeah. Okay. So they have they have sort of light and dark uh, musical cues for a lot of that's the characters. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he asks her to to read the note, and that's when we start to gain an understanding of probably the central conflict. You know, the moment that defined Sawyer as a human being was when his family was. Uh, sort of taken by, or his wife, or his mother, rather, was taken by a con man. They slept together, and then uh, his father ended up killing himself. And uh, Sawyer was, you know, left uh, an only child. And then as a result of that, he became the very thing that he hates and adopted the name of the the con man, Mr. Right. Sawyer. And what's 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 so great about the way they handle the note, because there's two sort of readings of, there's two sort of moments with the note in the episode. So in the beginning when Kate sees it, you assume that it's a letter written to Sawyer, to yeah. Island Sawyer, and that Sawyer's the one, that the kid, that Sawyer killed the a kid's mother and the father killed himself, and that Sawyer's like, look at me, I'm, I'm such a bad guy, and this is written to me, to Sawyer. And at that point, you sort of just, if you, you know, if you're just learning about Sawyer's character, what's so brilliant about that is you go, man, like, fuck this guy. He does want to stay on the island because, like, he's 
in so much trouble at home and he's a killer and this like kids get you have this whole fantasy of the kids gonna like grow up and kill him if he ever gets off the island so he's arrived like he's like gotten he's gotten the best deal of them all being stuck on this island and escaping all of his troubles or just that would have been the such obvious way to play that character Mm -hmm. would have been that he's escaping a mistake that he feels conflicted about and well that's why he's an bad boy anti-hero like you know he just you know he's bad but he feels he has regret about it, and that would it was so easy to play that character that way, and they they just brilliantly lead you down that path, and then at the last second take just a complete left turn right. and make you realize, oh, this happened to him, which paints the character in a completely different yeah. light. That and that's what's so great about that, like, does he want to get off the island or not? Thing is like you suddenly realize like he is the most of all the people on the island he's the most fucked because he will never if he doesn't get off of this island like that the contents of that letter will never be realized he'll never avenge his parents death right. he'll never find the real sawyer um and there's that great scene at the end where he's holding the lighter up to the letter and you can tell he's like right he's like am i this is the thing that's defined my life like am i going to keep it or not and in the end he doesn't uh, he doesn't burn the letter so he finds like some some hope for that um or just that he resolution can't, of can't give it up i wonder yeah. if there, there might be a difference between the two of those like whether it's you know he is incapable of moving on from this point in his life and clearly yeah. it has caused him great trouble and his pursuit of vengeance has not exactly yeah, but of panned course, out. He, he is a he's a beach character like he wants to get the fuck off that island and yeah. go find uh um yeah real you're right you're, and yeah. kill him um so let's see and then uh, and then there's um obviously the the saeed uh, story where saeed is uh sort of tortures sawyer to get the information on the uh, inhalers when they still think he has them. Well, there's this this moment where Saeed goes over to Jack and says, you know, I have a certain set of skills. You know, he is right. he's let it's well known that he was in, you know, uh, the Republican Guard, the Republican Guard, yeah. but he was always portrayed as a communications officer, which is why he was able to like, hobble together like this, you know, communication device, and he can try and find the French woman and blah 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 blah. And but he also said, well, part of my training, I you know got people to talk. Right. He said, give me ten minutes alone with Sawyer, and it's just. Like, really conflicted moment for Jack because he's the leader. He's being asked permission from Saeed to, to go and do this. Saeed's not going to go rogue and do this on his own. Uh, but Jack is essentially having to tr- cross a certain line with being a leader and say, yes, we are going to actually torture someone, you know, on this island that we have now – we now consider Sawyer a bad guy. Right. Um, even though they haven't found direct evidence – Sawyer has purposely implicated himself, which is the whole like craziest part I think about the the episode is this constant masochistic element to Sawyer in which he puts himself in situations that he could get himself out of, but chooses to engage with for reasons that aren't super clear. Well, so let, let's let's come back to that. I wrote a uh, mm-hmm. I wrote a note card about that okay. one. We'll come All back right. to that. I'm curious. I, I have a, I have some thoughts about that, but. Um, the thing that I thought was cool about, about the Saeed's role in this is like, so for the last, really, I mean, really for every episode of the season, when they have some sort of like technical or, or whenever they, they have some problem that like, like they need to fix this mechanical device. Saeed's like a MacGuffin character. Like he can yep. fix anything. He always knows the plan. Like he, he's always the thing that when they need to advance the plot, he's like the guy. So it's like, Oh, we need to get the information from Sawyer. Turns out he knows how to torture people. Um, 
and this episode ends with him exiling himself from the group and going on, you know, a, a spirit journey or whatever, where he's going to walk the, the shoreline of the island and map it out. Um, well, and also, you know, in terms of crossing lines, where, you know, Jack crosses a certain line in approving Saeed to go do this site and doing it and then accomplishing nothing. Right. You know, he, he also is someone that clearly has very conflicted opinions over who he is, what he's done. And, yes. and and leaves the leaves you know the the beach and and everyone, uh, you know under the notion that you know he had screwed up like he he should not have done this he allowed himself to become a person he has clearly so like you know whereas Sawyer is a character who has been unable to move on from this to, like this really important moment in his life and uh, Said is someone who felt has felt like he he left that behind. He didn't come to the island to leave it behind. He'd already done that, and that in the island he was forced to go back to a person he had moved on from, and then by doing that, he had you know compromised his set of values. Yeah, um, and 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 it sets him up as a character to um, sort of a mirror of Sawyer in some ways. And, yeah. Uh, the next episode, what we'll see is a, as a Said episode, so we'll get to um, we'll get to to see a little bit more about that. Um, but I just thought it was a really, like, I love when he leaves at the end. There is this sort of um, moment of him walking away where you're like, well, shit, what are they going to do without him? Like, he, yeah. he's the guy who knows how to do everything. So, like... It's also smart of the show at that point right. to to remove, you know, this this uh, character who, you know, it's alluded that he has got a lot of depth. And we get a little bit of that, but he has mostly been a plot device. Um, you know, he's, 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 a, he's a character of convenience that is sort of a uh, can-do-all... Uh, when when the story needs it, and so by having him leave, it's a uh, alludes to a lot of character depth that you know we'll explore later, and then b um, you know removes a very useful tool for everyone else that's kind of left behind while he leaves. Yeah, and the other um, the other the final side thing that I, I think is kind of interesting is like it was just, it's just a reminder sometimes of how Lost is such a post 9-11 show like it's just it's just it's about in so many ways like what america was like a couple of years after 9-11 so it centers around a plane crash there's themes of torture you say we're in the war we're right in the war in iraq what a year into it and mm-hmm. um there's still a, a, a like heavy fighting and saeed is the iraqi character who's sort of maybe i think kind of designed to challenge you as the viewer to to Judge him, and well, it's yeah, and, it's, a, it's a, the height of you know you know American sort of like backlash against like certain subsets yeah. of Americans as a result of uh, of everything that happened. So like it's it's super interesting that they you know it'd be it'd be one thing to just like like the fact that they actually make him part of like the Republic National like his backstory is like deliberately I think you're right challenges the audience to appreciate a character of depth that. A lot of other shows would be very one note about, uh, and might cast as a villain as opposed to a sympathetic, interesting character, or, or even to cast him entirely sympathetically when like yeah. he has this darkness to him. Right? He's not all. He's like anyone else in Lost. Like there's, you see Saeed go to a pretty dark place um, in this episode. Um, but it also was interesting that like if I go back and look at you know a show like uh, like Mash, I'm trying to think of something else where it has like a very defined by an era of American mm-hmm. politics or a particular moment in history. It this holds up so well, like the theme of like America torturing people or or that theme of like the role of tor- of like how justified is torture, like right. that is still like a really touchy issue, like. Um, 
there was a recent, there was a Senate disclosure today. Like, yeah. didn't, didn't <laughs> Obama, Obama <laughs> said that great quote? Yeah, we tortured some folks. Yeah, ah, <laughs> uh, you like, know, yeah, but, gee golly, yeah. It's, uh, it, I mean, it's interesting how. I mean, it, I, mean I, I did sort of. That was one of the things I was thinking about after this episode. Is like, man, like so much of our of the popular culture of our lifetime is is defined by nine eleven and the the years after that, mm-hmm. like the reaction to it. Um, and it's it's I mean it's pretty it's pretty crazy. It's ten years later, and and that stuff doesn't it's not stale or like silly like or, or feel seems, resolved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It still feels like pretty pretty contemporary. Like if a show did an ensemble cast and there was an Iraqi character in the ensemble cast, it would be just as risky today. I think. Yeah. Um, so and then so this was the final. So this was my my note card I saved about the other thing about the torture scene. So the question is like, is Sawyer? just a masochist that he's like basically inserting himself into this situation where he's being tortured. And, you know, I don't think he is. I mean, I, well, I think he is, I think he's, he is a little bit, but I don't think that's the main reason. I think this is a con. I think he wants that kiss from Kate and he wants at the end of the episode, he says when he was stabbed in the arm, he gets his, when he's, you know, let me bleed out. What was me? And it's like Kate and Jack, like holding him together on the beach. He gets his little line into Jack about uh, may, I made out with Kate, and it was like something else of like, what else am I going to do with my life? I made out with Kate, right? But yeah. she can't deny it. It's true. It when there's and, and when they, you know, when the kiss happens, it's not just one kiss, right? Like there's yeah. all sorts of ways that Kate could have played this, and she basically makes out with him, implying that there is a level of attraction uh, between the two of them, and that. She was doing more than the deal required. Yeah, uh, and and this lays the the seed for like a, you know, a, a plot that is is mined too much uh, throughout the the series of the sort of romantic triangle between Jack Sawyer uh, and Kate. And but it it does it does make me think like I think that's the con. I think Sawyer wants to put himself in exactly that situation where he gets to say to Jack, "I made out with Kate." I mean, again, there's that great exchange between Saeed and Sawyer during the torture scene where Saeed begins to, like, insert the reed into one of mm-hmm. his fingers, uh, and, like, you're you're wincing as the viewer because you're, you're imagining it. It's so much more effective that they don't show it. Like, it's so much more... It's It, it drives you nuts when you're watching the scene. Yeah. Because you're just... You're holding your fingers. You're just thinking what that would be like. And then yeah. Sawyer, like... Goes like, oh, is that all you got? And you're like, yeah. what are you doing? I know. I what know. are you doing? I know. Stop it's... it! And then this story does it more. It just they just twist the knife uh, on that scene so well that they show nothing, and I think it gets away with conveying way more than uh, they would if they had actually tried to like show the, you know the reed going into his finger or yeah but it's like, like it's like i part of me i i do so i do think sawyer has some issues and like i think that he's like not many people would be willing to go through that to yeah. like put their plan into action but i think he's i think he's in control of that situation completely yeah, and i think he's i think this is his scam i think he's running his long game and he knows all, he's, all he his knows other, are long cons like yeah. i mean that's like the this defining characteristic we have of the character up front is that he when you think that he's playing one person, he's actually playing everyone yeah. at the same time. And, and, and there's even that quote in the flashback where he goes, he goes, you know, the, the women are easy, um, but the men, you have to like, you have to like let them hold the money. You have to like yeah. let them feel like they're in charge. Yeah. And that's that total, like he is, he is tied to the tree. 
He has no power, right? He is completely letting Jack feel like he's in charge of that situation. When, in fact, you find out later, I think he could have undone those twists, right? Because he unties himself. Right. So he was almost voluntarily just letting himself go through that. And it was completely to get that moment at the end where he flips the roles on Jack. And he's like, yep, I made out with Kate. Like, yeah. And it's so petty. So petty. He's such an asshole. And I, th- and I, and I, th- I think that's ultimately maybe the takeaway is not that he's necessarily masochistic, but that he will he will go to extraordinary lengths for for what most people seems like very small, very petty things. Um, and I think that comes to define a, a lot of the character. And obviously he's got, you know, at least he has mommy and daddy issues as opposed <laughs> to just daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah. And also, I, we'll have to get into a little bit of this after the fact. Like, I can't help but watch Sawyer episodes knowing about where some of that stuff goes. When, and so we'll, we'll I'll, when he, I'll bite my tongue. Yeah, I'm not going to, I shouldn't. I'll, Don't I'll even allude. Say, Don't even allude. I'm not going to allude, but I'm just going to say, like, when he was holding the lighter up to the note, I was like, because I haven't seen, it's I, this episode is still really fresh for me. And yeah. I was thinking, like, does he burn that note? Because I think that that note continues to be a pretty big, have a role in the show. And then he doesn't. And I was sort of remembered where that, and where that plays yeah. out. And like, Oh, s- great. Such good character moments for Sawyer, like throughout the show. Yeah. Character. Well, I think they handle, except for the protracted, like love triangle with Kate, which they resolve and take like the character and do some, you know, other, it's not even, not even yeah. a spoiler to say like, you know, there are other romantic things that occur over the course of six seasons. Uh, when they finally find other things for Sawyer to do, like, it's incredibly satisfying. Yep. Um, and he probably, you know, Locke is, I think, the, f- the fan favorite, and he's truly a tremendous character that has uh, both the most tragic and interesting arc in, in the show. Uh, Sawyer is definitely right up there. Like, he, he's the lovable anti-hero as opposed to, to Locke, who is more of the, uh, you know, complicated hero type. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to some darker places as the show goes on, like just like all the characters do. But I don't know. Like I love Sawyer so much and Josh Holloway just plays him so damn well. I, there's a, oh, I'd have to, let me, let me see if I could find it. But Sawyer was not supposed to be a like Southern drawl sort of character. And then Josh Holloway played it that way, like with like a one-off line in his audition. And then they just completely rewrote the character because they loved it so much. Oh, that's um, awesome. Uh, something like that anyway. And yeah, I, I just, Sawyer's just so much fun to watch because he makes you so angry. Like it's, he makes you active. He makes you engage with the show in a way that a lot of the other characters don't because he just he fucks with you as the viewer. Like where you just, you really want to like him because he's so, because he, he disarms you all the time with the nicknames. Like you're always laughing at him. He's very funny. He's incredibly charming. He's super good looking. But then he does these things that just drive you nuts, and you, and you don't want to like him again. And you know he's like the the ex that you can't break up with. Like it's just it's just God damn it, Sawyer. But then God damn Sawyer. Like you just you feel the whole spectrum of emotions with him, and I think that's what makes him such a memorable character. That's just only added to by the fact that he probably has next to Locke like the most interesting backstory of of any of the characters. And the one that I think doesn't doesn't get overmined. I mean, like, yeah, I, when we talked about the... We were thinking about the episode last week, and I was like, well, does that involve the shrimp? 
It's like, no, well, the shrimp doesn't happen till later. It's like, oh, my God. Like, there's so much good stuff that happens with, uh, with Sawyer. So Yeah, and we should, we should probably just, I guess, um, like, the, we just really quickly touch on the backstory. Like, it was, I forgot this story because it's kind of a one-off um, uh, backstory for yeah. Sawyer. It's not, you know, it's not as, I, I can't quite remember, but I don't think you come back to this. It's not like a central thing in Sawyer's life. You mostly, uh, it's mostly to establish uh, how he works, that he's a con man. Um, All, a, a lot of the other backstories involve what will be reoccurring characters or <laughs> that phone is never going to charge. It's never going to charge. Uh, like re- reoccurring narratives and characters and, and sort of plot arcs that, uh, that you'll revisit a number of times. Whereas Sawyer, obviously, you know, there are obviously thematic things we'll return to, but I don't think we return to the woman and the man uh, or the child, but uh, you kind of don't have to, like it says everything about, yeah, it also just sets up that scene with the kid that you don't quite understand when yeah. it so, seems so out of character for Sawyer. And then after you see that scene with the kid is where you you fully understand the context of the note. Yeah, and, the, and it also, again, like what makes Sawyer such a crazy, interesting character is that he's got, he's, the con has been established. It is happening. Like He is going to walk away with tons of money and... He sees this kid and then calls off the deal, which then, you know, reinforces that Sawyer is this incredibly complex he, character. He calls off the deal and he leaves the seed money that's the other guys who was mad at him in the bar. Right. Leaves it behind, right? Right. I'm pretty sure he just leaves it in their house. Right, which is something like $160,000 or something, yeah, something, or, like, something that. like that. Yeah, something like that. dollars An incredible amount of money. And he wasn't faking it because obviously they have the scene where he's kind of talking to his... I don't know if it's like a you know mob bot whatever like his connection to the criminal underworld, uh, which confirms that that is all you know legitimate money and and that you know the money being real is not part of the con. He's actually playing with one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and he gives that all up, and it shows that he does have you know Kate's right ultimately that he does maybe not a heart of gold, but there is a conflicted human in there that wants to do good but just cannot bring himself. To actually embrace that, and I and I think Sawyer would explain that as he hasn't gotten his vengeance, so he can't move on from that moment in his life. And until yeah. he gets that vengeance, he can, he, you know, he can't be that person he wants to be. But uh, you know, that's that's kind of a cop out. Um, you want to do some lost uh, trivia from this week? Yeah. Uh, so, ba ba ba. Okay, Ooh, this <laughs> I have a good trivia. Can I do mine? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this okay, so we were talking about this uh, much earlier in the episode where I think it, the second episode maybe where they close on a song for the first time. Um, so uh, this is one of the only times in Lost where there's non diagenic music, meaning the music doesn't come from uh, like uh, something in the scene, like mm-hmm. it's not a character playing an instrument or a boombox or something. It's just like music playing over the episode. So it's uh, the Blind Boys of uh, Alabama's uh, I Shall Not Walk Alone plays over the sort of final montage. And it's actually only one of two times in all of Lost when they have non-diagenic music. Really? I guess I didn't realize it was that well integrated. Yes. And that's why um, there's an episode coming up where they play on that <laughs> yeah, uh, trope. Such a good joke. And it's 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 a joke, but it's also really creeps me out. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more when it happens. But there's a great play on that of sort of acknowledging that trope in TV and subverting it in a really 
like one of my favorite little moments yes. of season one of Lost. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I was because I remember we were talking about this, and I was like, wow, I, f- I forgot that Lost had like non diagenic music, mm-hmm. like non diagenic like like pop music, not right. like a soundtrack. Right. Um, uh, and yeah, that that was anyway. That's the whole. That's my trivia. Anyway, go on. Um, I, I don't know what why this made me laugh, but I was looking at the IMDb page and like it has <laughs> plot keywords associated with like individual episodes. Like I. I assume those are maybe like search terms, or I don't know how those get associated. But the one for this episode, the two, the only two terms that IMDb has listed are Labrador Retriever and Mysterious Island. <laughs> I just I don't know. It's just uh, Labrador. Like he's not even the dog's not even in this episode. Oh god. So how is this uh, anyway? <laughs> but also, if that were the, I would love it. I wonder if those are just okay. Maybe those are just the terms associated with Lost. As opposed to that specific episode, now I'm checking. Because I think that would be incredibly funny if, let's see, uh, keywords. Nope, that's, okay, so now that doesn't make any sense. That I thought of, if if the only keywords associated with loss, generally speaking, were just (laughs) Labrador Labrador Retriever Retriever That's the most notable notable characteristic of the uh, the show. It's not, but it's, okay, anyway, I don't know that maybe. And we laugh. Uh, some trivia from Lostpedia. Um, this is the first episode in which a flashback did not directly involve how a person got onto the island. Oh. Um, just after Saeed kidnaps him, Sawyer says, well, ain't you the brave one jumping a guy while he's napping? Three years later, Naveen Andrews, who uh, is the actor who portrays Saeed, uh, appeared in a movie called The Brave One. The Brave One. <laughs> what a weird piece of trivia. Like, why would you even point that out? Uh, and... Uh, I, I, this must be, they, they must have evidence for this, which is why they're pointing it out. Um, Lostpedia says this episode covers the ninth and 10th day on the island. I didn't know it was that Don't little. they say at some point, doesn't Charlie say, like, we've been here for weeks or something? I don't know. I, Lostpedia knows their shit, so okay. I assume if they're saying that, that they're saying that with some authority. Okay. Um, but I guess it feels like they've been on the island longer than that. Like, only being there for nine days seems like... It puts in perspective the conflict of the caves and the beach in a certain way. Like, nine days is pretty fast. That might be a little too early for me to give up on leaving this island. Yeah, right? I, I'm assuming... I'm thinking, like, a month. That's how I feel. I, w- I feel like um, it's at least feels to me like two weeks or three weeks. But maybe the idea is, like, some of these things are sort of happening concurrently. Like, that there is all these, these big character dramas happening, but it's not like this, everything's happening to the same guy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to look up how exactly that is sort of spelled out. But yeah, like hmm. when, when thinking of this island as the or this day uh, as the ninth or tenth day on on the show, yeah, I don't know. I'm, maybe I side with the beach people that maybe nine a week and a half is not enough time to give up on being rescued. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the uh, that is the the trivia that I have for for this week. So thanks to IMDb and Lostpedia. Um, all right. Should we, uh, do we, do you want to do some, some spoiler chat this week? I feel like there's not too much this week that kind of touches the lost mythology. No, there's one, there's just one thing I want to talk about. Okay. All right. Well, so we'll have a very brief spoiler chat after the theme music. Um, so you stick around if you, if you uh, want to be spoiled and have us uh, destroy lost for you. Um, and then uh, next week we're watching episode eight of lost. Uh, it's called solitary. It's the, so it's our first Saeed episode. It is a excellent, outstanding Lost episode. It's got one of my favorite 
twists and like pieces of trivia um, in in the whole first season. Um, and I don't uh, remember written, anything about it. It's written by David Fury, mm. so you know that was one of the the writers who came up who kind of writes the the excellent episodes of the first season. And uh, it sets up a lot of, uh, I think, to me at least, it sets up a good amount of the long-term lost mythology. So definitely we'll be doing a spoiler chat after after next week's episode, but a lot of heavy, big themes and mythology and lost um, hmm. come from come from ne- next week. Oh, right. Week's okay. Episode. All right. Nope. It's, com- it's coming back. Coming back? It's coming back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. It's a really good one. Um, okay, so the show notes for this episode, including all of the pictures of Patrick's uh, The Leftovers box, uh, are available at rewatchpodcast.com. Um, as always, you can email us your questions and comments at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at, at rewatchpodcast on Twitter. Uh, as always, thanks to Steve Fabwash Kim for our artwork. Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month, at dose1.bandcamp.com. Thank you to Lex Friedman and Midroll for hooking up our sponsorships. Uh, thank you to Igloo for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to all of you for listening in with us. Um, uh, also, uh, you can, uh, as with every week, very helpful if you leave a review and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, and we will see you in a week. Chad, what's your thing? I just can't stop thinking about the eventual revelation that we find out that Locke's father is also Sawyer. Right. And that whole scene that ends up playing out on the... What's the ship called? The Black Rock? Yes. So, okay. So... Are you going to get angsty about the show now? I'm angsty. I'm angsty because <laughs> that sh- based on this episode, that should be the most satisfying fucking character moment in all of Lost of like, ah, just like, it should just feel amazing and it should be this like incredible payoff for the show. Mm. And the whole time I was just mad about the magic box. Somewhere on this island, there's a very large box. And whatever you imagined, whatever you wanted to be in it, when you opened that box, there it would be. Because remember? Cause well, there's no magic box. I know, but they don't say that then. Ben says, <laughs> I have a magic box that can do anything. Uh-huh. Right? They just kidnapped him. They kidnapped him and brought him to the island? So yeah. that really was him? That wasn't the smoke monster? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, that was actually Anthony How did Cooper. they find him? They just, I mean, they have resources. Like, it, they, they, they... Who's they? The... The... the, the, the the phone? The phone's going off? What's happening? I don't know. It doesn't say anything. What did it say? Stupid phone. Give me. It doesn't have any messages. What was that noise? I just, I don't know. Did you go to the text messages? Yeah, and there's nothing in the inbox. My stuff. Pictures. Exclusive.png. Oh. These are default wallpapers. <laughs> <laughs> 
strategy is very well planned until the phone part. Anyway, uh, all right. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Know. Like, I don't... So Ben's. So wait, who has resources? Ben. What's Ben working for at that point? At the time that all this is happening, yeah, like Ben's remember. the leader of the the others. What's the others? They've taken over all the. Dharma I literally stuff. don't remember. So yeah, he's the, who, where the did they man come in charge. From? What do they want? Who are they? What they're Widmore's people or not? No, they're not Widmore. Widmore, Who are the Wid- Widmore was on the island, was exiled, and then is trying to get back to the island. Right. Okay. That's his whole reason for being involved in any of this. Okay. And what's the others? Like, like, I mean, but like what, you mean like literally like who are the others? No, I mean like what did they end up? What was the deal with them? Like why did they kidnap? Why was Ben fucking with everyone? Like well, ultimately, I can't even remember. Like why were they? Were they were in the temple and they were living in the Dharma village? Was why was Jacob? The others work for Jacob? Well, Ben was talking to Jacob. Okay. So the others but the, are yeah, like the, the, the a whole, like, the whole of the magic box was just a trick by Benjamin Linus to make it seem like he has more power and control than he actually has. Like, that was... That, yeah. <sighs> fucked with that, that magic box fucked with me. I was... Well, right, because there's the whole reveal where... Uh, I think it's the man from Tallahassee mm-hmm. like, is, is one of the episodes... I think that's a lock episode because mm-hmm. um, it's introduced that like Anthony Cooper is, is first introduced as uh, as you know sort of a lock thing, and then we later learn it's also Sawyer. Um, but there's the, the, I think the episode ends with like the opening of a door to the magic box, and Locke's father is in there because that's like this big test for that Ben gives to Locke is like, well, do whatever you want with him, like because Locke has good reason to want to kill him too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't f- remember all the machinations around that. I, I just think it's like I remember all that stuff. Can you like, explain being... the others to me though? Now I'm upset about. Th- now I'm upset about something new. Well, so I kind of I just forgot how there it was a split. Ends there up. was a split in. Remember, so Ben ends up essentially like mass killing a bunch of folks. The Dharma people. The Dharma people, that's which is purge. where those mass graves that's the come. Purge. From. Yes, the purge. Okay, but, but so the then others. The others are on the island before Dharma. Are they ancient? No. They're I, not well, ancient. The others are Dharma. Well, like, they're, like, the faction of Dharma, right? I don't know. I don't remember. These, like, we're Do you remember? Into, we're getting into, like, plot points that I don't I, remember. It's crazy. I mean, we're about it's, to be... It's crazy to me that I can't remember this. We're about to be introduced to Ethan fairly soon, right? Yeah, like, he's, two he's, or two episodes. He's or season one. But it's like... But I remember so many of the twists and turns of, like, the others are... They're... They live in the shanty town, and then the shanty town is a facade, and then they live in the Dharma village, and then I think like that's a facade, ultimately and then they the fact the that you can't remember and... this stuff, like, and, but we remember all these character moments, like goes to show, like it's why I fundamentally disagree with why people were so angry about the way Lost ended. It's because none of this shit really mattered that much. It was fun, but I don't remember like who the others are. Like it's important in the moment, and it's fun as part of like the general mythology of the show, but. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I, the fact that I can't give you a real satisfying answer in any of those things, there's a reason I don't remember it. I, I'm, I'm on board with that, and I, I'm on board with that, and I am th- I'm thoroughly enjoying, like, the rewatch of the first season, but I, I still, it's just, like, I can't let it go. Like, I want it to be neatly organized into, like, a, like a clear ending where It might like, make more sense as we watch it, and, like, you just yeah. get a refresher on, on that stuff. Yeah, so, like, the thing with, with the smoke monster being people's bodies was cool, because that actually was, when I realized that on this rewatch, it right. resolved a lot of lingering yeah like there are contradictions yeah. and whatever like of course the show's gonna have stuff that yeah, i'm okay i'm okay with some contradictions yeah. it's like but broadly, generally speaking i think they explain it pretty yeah, well Yeah, broadly like the smoke monster can can animate people's bodies or take their form or something like that but yeah yeah but um 
Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I just as, as soon Have as you I was watching, that there's a, a theme in Lost of people missing um, arms and appendages and and body parts, and like Sawyer gets stabbed in the arm. That was like mm-hmm. what made me think about that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a whole thing of people missing arms and body parts. Who else is missing body so parts? So Locke mentions the guy who had who climbed Mount Everest and had no legs. There's mm-hmm. the guy in the Dharma video has a, a fake arm. Mm-hmm. There's the fake eye. That's just a theme in Lost of mm. people missing body parts. Yeah, so I remember like, maybe that's like just like a general some, theme of some, like some, loss some, and adversity. Doesn't doesn't someone get some shit amputated by Jack at some point? Uh, I'm pretty sure he like saws off well, someone's leg. Boone dies. He saws off Boone's leg, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. It's just a thing. It's like a running. And theme. then he still dies. Yeah, that's a gruesome. That's an episode that's hard to watch Bye too. Boone. I don't. I don't rewatch that episode either. But I mean, I will this time. But, yeah. Yeah. Gruesome. Mm. All right. Well, this has been yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's this has been it. this has been spoiler chat where we forget how Lost works and uh, talk <laughs> about people's lives getting and then, sawn uh, off. And then we'll get uh, five emails this week explaining like, oh no, this is the things you don't remember. Yeah, Th- that's I'm fine with that. Yeah. Please explain it to me. I, yeah. I don't. I, I'm not embarrassed about the fact, but I do think there's something. There's a kernel. I am embarrassed that I don't remember ultimately in the end what is the deal with the others. I can't fucking remember it. It's like they they predated Dharma. I think. Well, there. are... Maybe. Because why did they go rogue? They had some other agenda. I don't remember. These, these are all like season four things when we have like the... Uh, is that the time travel? Uh, hopping season? through... Well, no, that's five. Five, okay. Four is when... Wait. No. Six yeah. is the so final three, season? So three we end with not Penny's boat, mm-hmm. which is that... Uh, and then four is when Faraday and all those characters were introduced. And then five is time travel. Four, um, four is probably my least favorite season on bal- on the balance because I was upset that all this new stuff. Four was have happening. the constant, which is like one the of top the top five episodes. Yeah, of the series. one of the best episodes of the series. But but it was good because it was like a breath of fresh air because it was like it's just so much ass every week and then suddenly this great episode where like literally none of it happens on the island. I don't think you see the island in that episode. That's where mm. Locke is like going around blowing stuff up the whole season and it's just it's awful. It's so, I I have bad I've. I have bad memories. Season, of season five four. is great. Season five was great because I think they such a shakeup of the show. I think they realize something's going wrong with the formula of like week to week lost, and it's it, the the dramatic stakes are getting crazy, and it's such a good reset to like build the mythology, learn about the mysteries, and then and think about that in comparison to season one. Season one, like a bunch of people surviving on an island. Season five. A bunch of these people have been transported to a 1970s version of the island in which they are a part of a corporation that is conducting experiments on the island. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, it, what? And it's, it was, I agree, I think that's one of my favorite seasons of Lost. Oh, and they do, they do the whole, like, Sawyer and Juliet, which is such a great arc for the show, and, like, I, I love those two characters. They have, they, they have my probably favorite moment in, or one of my favorite moments what, in the, that, in the, the series the finale. finale? Yeah, yeah, just like great. their sort of recognition of each other is such a such a good moment in the show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Anyway, spoiler chat. Spoiler chat. 